Welcome to the Faith for My Generation podcast, where our vision is to shake and shape a generation with the power of God's Word. We're on one mission, to raise up a generation of powerful believers through the relevant teaching of God's Word. I'm so thankful that you're here today. I'm your host, AJ. Let's get into the episode. There is an essential key to answered prayer. You want your prayers answered, then you have to learn about this biblical key that we're going to discuss today on the Faith for My Generation podcast. Good morning. This is your wake-up call. It is wake-up call 075. He prayed again. I want to go to James chapter 5. And we're going to read three verses in James chapter 5. The first one is probably a very familiar verse, especially if you've ever read about prayer or you know read books on prayer or listened to teaching on prayer. This is, I'm going to say, one of the top five verses in the Bible when we're talking about prayer. James chapter 5, verse 16. Confess your trespasses to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Verse 17, Elijah was a man with a like nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. Verse 18, And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Verse 16, we see a couple things going on there. One, it tells us to confess our faults, our trespasses. Uh, King James says faults. That's the one I'm more familiar with. Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. There's really two components going on there. One is bodily healing. In verse 16, concerning healing, it's talking about how there has to be a confession of sin. Of course, sin, the Bible tells us in Isaiah, is it Isaiah 58? Um, Isaiah 58, nope, it's Isaiah 59. Verse 1 says this, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy, that it cannot hear. Verse 2, but our iniquities, but your iniquities have separated you from God, and your sins have hidden your face, excuse me, your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. We see in Isaiah 59 verse 2, that sin actually prevents prayers from being answered. After all, in order to have your prayers answered, you have to be in line and in will with God. In order for us to answer or get an answer to prayer, as we are so richly promised in Scripture, you know, there's so many powerful promises concerning prayer, it almost seems too good to be true. For instance, John 15, verse 7 is one of them. Jesus says this, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it will be done for you. So think about that. Jesus is promising us, uh, some some great men of the faith have have preach sermons and written books uh, using the language, a blank check there. Verse 7, John 15, verse 7. It's a blank check from God. Whatever you desire, when you ask, it will be done for you. But notice the condition. Notice the prerequisite. Notice the requirement on our behalf in verse 7. 
If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it will be done for you. So notice there that blank check of prayer, and it really is. It is a mighty, mighty promise that God has given us that I will do for you what you ask. But the requirement on our part is we're abiding in Christ, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you. So I'm living and dwelling in in Christ. I'm in fellowship with Christ. Being in Christ, of course, I'm saved. I'm in fellowship with Christ. I'm hid in Christ, the book of Colossians. And then his word is dwelling in me. You know, it's probably been six, eight months ago I, at this point. I don't know. But if you search in the app, it, it, it was or on YouTube channel, there is a, we did an episode called uh, The Word is Near You, I believe, is what, it, is what it's called. And we went to, uh, it's in the book of Deuteronomy, because Romans chapter 10 quotes the book of Deuteronomy. Basically, the Lord is saying, look, the word of God, that I, the word I've given you, it's not far off. It's not across a sea. It's not at the top of a mountain. It's not real far away from you. It's been spoken to you, and it's in your heart. And that really is the key. The key to answer prayer is having the word of God so richly, you, is having your heart and your mind so richly saturated with the truths of God's word that you're in a place of fellowship with the Lord that when you ask whatever you ask, whatever you desire, it's already in the will of God. You know, some people, <clears throat> they hear that verse that Jesus talks about. What do you mean I can ask whatever I desire? What if I ask something that's not God's will? But for the person that's in Christ and has the words of Christ dwelling in that person, they're not going to ask something out of the will of God. And if they do, they're going to be convicted. And it's not like God's going to give you something that's going to destroy you. He's, he's not going to do that. He's a good father. But we see in Isaiah 59 too there, you know, there's sin. If sin is in the heart of the believer, we got to get that cleansed out. we got to get that out of, out of the way. we got to get in right fellowship with the Lord. So James chapter 5, verse 16, where we started, confess your trespasses, your faults one to another, and pray for one another that you may be healed. There's actually two things going on there. One, if there's sin that's unconfessed, get it confessed. Get it cleansed. Because 1 John 1, 9 tells us that he is faithful and just. In fact, let me read it. It's such a powerful promise on forgiveness uh, after we repent. 1 John 1 Verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So the first thing in James 5.16, confess your sins, confess your faults, get those out of the way. Secondly, pray for one another that you may be healed. There is a Bible um, method to receiving bodily health and healing. And it's by our prayers. Then we get to this third part. Really, it's its own statement in verse 16. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Um, I was reading, and I'm going to bring it up here. It was interesting the way it was phrased. Uh, effectual and that effectual fervent or effective fervent prayer is the Greek word energio. Obviously, energio it sounds very much like energy, right? And and that that word energio 
means to work effectively. It shows forth oneself. It is mighty working itself in. It is, um, it is really denoting the power of God flowing through the believer. In 1 Thessalonians, there's another time where that, that Greek word energio is used. If, is, if we go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, I believe it was 13. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. For this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. So there Paul saying to the church in Thessalonica by the Holy Spirit, when you heard this word we were preaching, you didn't receive it as just the words of Paul or whoever else may have been with him on that missionary journey at that point in time, or Silas, or Barnabas, or Apollos, or Timothy, or whoever it may have been, a Titus. You didn't just receive it as words of men. Oh, that's a good statement, Paul said. No, you received it as it is, which is the word of God. And when they received it with faith, it did something in their heart and in their life. And, and so there is a power that the Word of God carries. And when you abide in Christ and His Word is abiding in you, then you'll ask whatever you will, whatever you desire, and it'll be done for you. At the point of the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man, it avails much. In other words, it does a whole lot of good. It brings about exactly what you are believing God for. Availeth much that, think about that, that phrase there, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. That word availeth much, it literally means it's a force that brings out something. It's strength. It's power that causes something to happen. See, that's the beauty and the miracle of prayer. Prayer is not, let me help you out here, just in case some of you may be thinking this. I don't believe that, that if you are, I'm, I'm not bashing you. But, but let's, let's just cut to the chase here. For those of the faithful, you know, you're, you're here to study the Word and to grow in, in discipleship with the Lord. Um, r- rid yourself of any religious thinking concerning prayer. Prayer is an open invitation to labor with God in the earth and see his will manifest in your life, in your marriage, in your family, in your children, in your school, in your job, in your church, in your city. It's an open invitation to co-labor with God and see the will of God manifested in the earth. It's what Jesus said in Matthew 6.10, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the way the kingdom comes, the way the will of God is done on earth, even as it's done in heaven, is by the avenue of prayer. There's so many things that we cannot do in our own strength with our natural hands or natural ability that if we will take it to God in prayer, 
people's hearts will be softened. Resources will be made available. Healing will be manifested. People will be saved. Deliverance will come. Nations and cities will taste and see the goodness of God and be revived. Churches will grow. People will be blessed. There's things that God wants to do in the earth and they come to pass by the means of men and women, you and me, the faithful, having faith in the Word of God and praying that truth into the earth. And there's a power, the effectual, fervent prayer. So this, this, this working, this divine energy of God working through the life of the believer it forces, it's a force, it's a strength that makes something come to pass. Uh, one commentator said this, a, uh, a prayer of a just man wrought in him by divine energy. See, that's a, that, that helps you continue to make sure we have the proper understanding of what prayer is. Prayer is not a religious function. Prayer is not just something you do before you take the first bite of food. Prayer is not just something you do right before you go to bed. Prayer is not just you know, something you do in church. Prayer is a lifestyle. Prayer is uh, part and parcel of the life of the believer. Prayer is something that in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, we are to pray without ceasing. Prayer is to be the very breath of the believer. Just like naturally speaking, I'm constantly I'm constantly inhaling and exhaling. And if I don't, what, in a matter of minutes? If I don't, you know, if you're trained, <laughs> I don't know if I could hold my breath for a solid minute. Maybe, maybe if my life depended on it, you know, it's summertime, the pool's open. I was, and I love always trying to stretch my breath underwater and see if I can get stronger at it. At the end of the season, I usually am, can hold my breath for, I don't know, maybe a minute, minute, 10 seconds. But when I first, without fail, every year when I start doing it, you know, 30 seconds, I think I'm going to die. <laughs> so don't breathe for a couple minutes and your life will end, right? Try, try and walk this life of the believer without prayer and you'll have the same end it'll be destruction you know if you try to live for Jesus and have a prayerless life and honestly we probably don't have a prayerless life but if you have a very weak prayer life it's going to make this walk with Christ very difficult, and it doesn't have to be difficult. Jesus said in Matthew 11, you know, Come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, and I will teach you. I'm meek and lowly and gentle in heart, and my burden is easy, my yoke is light. So it's an easy thing to serve the Lord. It really is. I mean, consider the contrary. <laughs> Being destroyed by, by the work of sin all the days of your life and then dying in sin and going to a real place called hell for all of eternity torment and gnashing of teeth no thank you there's a video on youtube that i put up entitled it's easy to serve the lord it's part of a, of a longer podcast episode but i went and cut it back cut it like an eight minute section out of it where i talk about that 
And it's true. It's easy to serve the Lord. It's a joyful thing to serve God. But you can actually do it unjoyfully, without joy, and make it difficult simply by not constantly engaging in the language of the believer, which is prayer. You have to have a strong prayer life. You know, I, I think I've shared this before on the podcast with the with you, the faithful. But uh, if not, or if you haven't heard it, here here goes. Um, it is the year twenty twenty three, and the year two thousand and seventeen. I was convicted. The Lord woke me up. It's the first home my wife and I we were living in renting. And I can remember waking up. It was a Tuesday morning. I don't know, six-ish. And this is, I woke up, and and it wasn't an audible voice, though it wouldn't have been any louder to me if it were. I woke up and I heard the voice of the Lord say, are you going to listen to people talk about prayer and read books about prayer, or are you actually going to pray? That's, That's what I heard the voice of the Lord say. Well, I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, the sharpest knife in the kitchen drawer, but I'm not a dummy. The Lord didn't ask me that question because he didn't know the answer. (laughs) He was lovingly rebuking me. So I got up and I went to the next bedroom, knelt down and began to pray. And from that point forward, I began to make a commitment to God to pray every day. And for me, you know, I'm almost hesitant to say a, a time because... Every person's every person's different, though I believe we can set apart a time. But I, I made a covenant with God. I'm going to pray an hour a day from that day forward. There have been some days where I missed it. But over the course of six and a half years at this point, I remember it, it was July 14th, uh, 2017. I remember that because 714, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14 tells us that if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and seek my face and turn from their sins, then I will heal their land. And that's a prayer promise. That's a scripture that we oftentimes see concerning prayer. And 2 Chronicles 7.14, and just so happened the day that I was rebuked lovingly by the Lord, it was on July 7th month, 14th day of the month of that year. What's interesting is the previous Sunday, two days prior, my pastor, my father, had just spoke, he just taught his second Sunday in a series that he was teaching on prayer. He didn't know how long he was going to go, but I believe it went six Sundays in a row. And I just heard the second Sunday of teaching on prayer. At the same time, I was reading a book about prayer. So here I was, I'm hearing about praying. Amen, yes, hallelujah, praise the Lord. I'm hearing about prayer in church, right? Oh yeah, that's good, praise God. I'm reading about prayer in this book. I believe it was With Christ in the School of Prayer by Andrew Murray. I'm reading about prayer. Oh man, that's good, yeah, wow, prayer, powerful. But I wasn't actually engaging in prayer. And from that point forward, I I repented and I got to praying And I can tell you this, my life has changed so drastically. Everything's gotten better. I've seen miraculous answers truly by the hand of God, and it was because I prayed. And God's not a respecter of persons. 
He'll answer anybody's prayer that prays in faith because James chapter 5, verse 16 tells us the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. This fervent energy, this divine energy working itself through the man or woman of faith who is praying, they'll get things done. And they'll get things done that can only be done by the hand of God. And the hand of God is moved by prayer. The hand of God is waiting on a prayer to be prayed so that God then can co-labor with man on the earth. And, and what we see here is verse 17 and 18, it says this, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. So this mighty prophet of Elijah in the Old Testament, 1 Kings 17 and 18, this mighty prophet, one of, truly one of the greatest prophets to ever live, John the Baptist being the greatest according to Jesus, and he had a portion of the Elijah spirit. The Holy Spirit was on John the Baptist as it was as Elijah. He was a forerunner for the gospel. Elijah was a man with nature like ours. So even though Elijah's great and mighty and does all these wonderful miracles, he's flesh and blood just like you and me. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. Verse 18, and he prayed again. And the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. If we go to 1 Kings 17, verse 1, uh, we don't see anything about the man Elijah until verse 1 of 1 Kings chapter 17. Elijah's not mentioned anywhere up in this point. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, in verse 1 of 1 Kings 17, we, we meet the man, the prophet Elijah. It says this, and Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, who was king of Israel at that time, a wicked king, As the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. So we don't know anything about Elijah. If you're reading in your Bible for the first time ever, you haven't heard about Elijah. And then all of a sudden he shows up and he tells the wicked king of Israel, Ahab, Ahab, no more rain until I say there's rain. And the Lord backed up his word. There's something, there was something extremely powerful about the way the prophets operated, uh, specifically in the Old Testament. It's like Samuel. Samuel was a prophet. And it says concerning Samuel that the, word, that the Lord did not allow his words to fall to the ground. In other words, when Samuel spoke, He's not just willy-nilly speaking here, but when Samuel speaks under the unction of the anointing, God backs up those words. It's an amazing thing. Well, fast forward to chapter 18 of 1 Kings, verse 1, And it came to pass after many days, three and a half years, that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the earth. So we have Elijah... He meets Ahab for the first time and tells him, guess what? There's going to be a drought in your kingdom for the sin, for recompense of the sins of this nation, turning from the true God and sacrificing to demons and idols. And so that brings on famine because if there's no rain, there's no food. If there's no food, the livestock die. And so not only can you not produce, you know, have fruits and vegetables, baked bread, but you got no meat. If there's no rain, the rivers dry up, the wells dry up. Literally, just the stopping of rain will destroy a nation, cripple a nation. And Israel was crippled, suffering because of the destruction of sin. 
sin always brings destruction. The wages of sin is death. There's always a consequence to sin, and it destroys. So Elijah shows back up to King Ahab. If you read chapter 18, man, it's a good chapter to read. <clears throat> Basically, Elijah calls Ahab and the prophets of Baal and the prophets of Astra. There's 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Astra. And he said, let's have a showdown. Let's finally settle, settle this once and for all. Let's see whose God is real. So they set up this competition. Elijah says, we're going to set up two altars. Each one of us get a bull. I'll let you guys go first. You call on Astaroth and you call on Baal and see if they answer. Those 850 pagan priests, demon worshipers, they're beating themselves, cutting themselves, dancing around for hours. At one point, Elijah says, maybe you're not shouting loud enough. Maybe he's a, maybe your gods went to the restroom and he can't hear you. <laughs> yeah, the the language Hebrew language says maybe he has covered his feet, literally meaning you can imagine he went to the restroom. And he's mocking them. Elijah mocks these pagan priests. Well, no fire comes down. So then Elijah sets up his altar. It actually says it's interesting. Elijah it says in verse thirty one. Or verse 30, Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. So all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. You know, maybe you're listening to this episode today, watching this video today, and you need to repair the altar of your prayer heart, of the altar of your heart for prayer. Before Elijah prays this mighty prayer and fire comes from heaven and consumes the sacrifice, spoiler alert if you haven't read it, before he does that, he repairs the altar. And maybe you're listening today and you're feeling that convicting nudge of the Holy Spirit in your heart drawing you into the prayer closet, drawing you into that secret place of prayer. Maybe you need to rebuild the altar of prayer in your life. If, if you're not living a life of prayer, I'm encouraging you. That's why I'm doing this. This is why the Lord put this one on my heart today. Because I want to encourage you. There is a life truly miraculous to be lived. And it comes by way of prayer. So Elijah rebuilds this altar of 12 stones to represent each tribe of Israel. He lays the bull in pieces on the altar. And then they pour 12 pots of water. Four pots, three times, equals 12. During famine, during a drought, he pours water out on a sacrifice he intends God to set on fire. One is to show, you know, many commentators will tell you that in that day and age, pagan priests, they would have a little tiny fire hidden under the altar so that as they're dancing around, eventually that little fire creeps up and finally catches the whole thing on fire. And then everyone thinks their God did it. And it was actually just a magic trick. One, it eliminates any idea that Elijah was doing a magic trick. He soaks the thing with 12 pots of water. But also, it's a drink offering. Because water is so precious at this point. It hadn't rained for three and a half years. And Elijah's pouring it out on an offering to God. You know, your prayer life is going to cost you something. It's going to cost you time. You're going to have to say, there's going to be times where you have to make a decision. Instead of going here, doing this, maybe it's sleep. Maybe it's scrolling the phone. Maybe it's hanging out. You're going to have to make a decision say, you know what, I could do those things. But instead, I'm going to go pray. 
and it costs you something. But the cost that you pay pales in comparison to the reward. And there was a cost here. There was a drink offering poured out. All this water that could have been drunk. They haven't had rain for three and a half years and he's pouring water out on the ground. That's a big deal. But he's pouring it out on an offering to the Lord. Elijah then prays a very simple prayer. Verse 36, And it came to pass at the time of the sacrifice of the offering offering of the evening sacrifice, that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and I'm your servant and that I've done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you've turned their hearts back to you. The fire of God fell down, consumed that entire offering and licked up the water in the trenches around that altar And then all of a sudden, Elijah takes advantage of this miraculous event. The hearts of the people of Israel turn back toward the true God, and they slay these 850 pagan prophets and priests and rid themselves of idolatry in one moment. Then in verse 41, Elijah says, Then Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat, for there is the sound of abundance of rain. Verse 42, So Ahab went up to eat and drink. Elijah went to the top of Carmel, then he bowed down on the ground, put his face in between his knees, and said to his servant, Go now and look up toward the sea. So he went up and looked and said, There's nothing. And seven times he said, Go again. Then it came to pass that the seventh time that he said, There is a cloud as small as a man's hand rising out of the sea. So he said, Go up and say to Ahab, Prepare your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. And now it happened in the meantime that the sky became black with clouds and wind, and there was a heavy rain. So Ahab rode away and went to Jezreel. Then the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah, and he girded up his loins and ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. He prayed again. In verse 18 of James chapter 5, is where I caught that phrase. I was actually in a time of prayer and I was reading that passage and it just kind of struck a chord in my heart. He prayed again. He prayed again. Now in verse 17, it tells us he prays to stop the rain. Verse 18, he prays and the rain comes back. But that phrase, he prayed again, just kept going over and over in my heart. And then I go and actually read the account. Elijah sends his servant seven times. Seven, not four, not five, not six, seven times. Elijah tells first, Elijah in faith tells Ahab, go up and eat some supper because you're going to have to ride this chariot back to Jezreel before the rain starts because when the rain comes, it's going to be a heavy rain. So one, he tells Ahab, go eat supper. Go eat and get some food before the rain comes. He's saying that in faith before he prays. And then Elijah, it says he bows his head, his face between his knees. He's bowing down in prayer. And so what does he do? He prays to God for rain. And then he tells his servant, go to the top of the mountain, see if you see any clouds. Goes, comes back, nothing. Pray some more, do it again. Nothing. Pray, do it again. Nothing. Seven times. He prayed again. See, there is a persistence in prayer. There, that answers the question that we opened up with today. This key, this biblical key to answered prayer is persistence. You pray in faith 
and you continue to pray in faith the will of God, believing those things that be not, calling them, calling those things that be not as though they were in prayer. That's what faith looks like. It's praying the will of God. Lord, I see this is in your word. I'm believing this is coming to pass in my life. I believe it in Jesus' name and I receive it by faith. And you ignore, literally ignore what you see with your eyes and hear with your ears and you you resolve to believe the word of God and you pray that word again and again and again until, uh uh-oh, Well, Elijah, there actually is a small black cloud, but it's about the size of a man's hand. Elijah said, that's it. We've got our answer. Let's get out of here. Because with the eyes of faith, he knew what seemed to be a small black cloud was the beginning of an answered prayer. Jesus said in Luke 18.1, men ought to always pray and not faint. We are to pray without fainting, without giving up. You don't just pray, well, I guess I didn't get my answer to prayer. I guess it's not God's will. No, if, if you see the will of God clearly written and established in the Word of God, you pray that prayer, you pray that will of God into existence, into the earth, and you don't accept anything otherwise. It's interesting. Well, concerning persistence in prayer, think about Daniel. He prays, and he's on a 21-day fast before the answer comes. He didn't know he was going to pr- fast for 21 days in prayer. He just set himself, set his face to seek God and pray. And just so happens, after 21 days of prayer and fasting, the answer comes. Elijah persisted in prayer. He didn't quit the fifth time he sent us. What if Elijah quit? What if, what if Elijah quit praying? The sixth time the servant came back. Nope, nothing. Elijah said, well, I guess, that's it. I guess it's not God's will. I know he told me. In 1 Kings 18, verse 1, we read it. I know he told me that it was going to rain, but I guess not. I guess we'll go on home. No, he prayed again. Simeon, in Luke chapter 2, Simeon's praying. And just so happens the Spirit of the Lord leads him into the temple so that he can be there and see the consolation of Israel. King Jesus, as a child being dedicated. Anna the prophetess, right after he comes, Simeon comes in, Anna the prophet comes, prophetess comes in. She was constantly serving the Lord, it tells us, in prayer and fasting. And those two people who were praying to God for the deliverance and salvation for Israel, they got to see salvation and deliverance that had come to Israel. And his name was Jesus. I'm going to finish with this. A man named George Mueller. I'm reading his autobiography. He was a man of prayer. He has over 50,000 answered prayers recorded in a journal. <laughs> it's an astounding. I want you to hear this. Uh, George Mueller, a man of prayer, he actually be- was a religious mm, sinner, I guess you might, what he would say. Just living life full of sin as a young man. Gets convicted, gets saved, gives his heart to the ministry of the Lord. And he begins to pray and learn and discover the power of prayer. And he was praying, it says this, Once while ministering in Dusseldorf, Germany, Mueller was approached by a missionary to that city that was distressed because his six sons remained unconverted, though he had been praying for them for many years. To the father's question about what he should do, Mueller responded, 
Continue to pray for your sons and expect an answer to your prayer, and you will have to praise God. Six years later, in August of 1882, Mueller again returned to minister in Dusseldorf. This time he was delighted to be greeted by the same missionary who testified that he'd resolved to follow Mueller's advice and had given himself more earnestly to prayer for spiritual well-being of his sons. The happy results were that two months after Mueller had left in 1876, five of the man's sons had come to faith in Christ, and the sixth was now also thinking seriously about making the commitment. Now listen to this. Mueller himself interceded for more than half a century for the salvation of a small group of men. He once wrote, In November of 1844, I began to pray for the conversion of five individuals. I prayed every day without a single intermission, whether sick or in health, on land or on sea, and whatever the pressure of my engagements might be. Eighteen months lapsed before the first of five was converted. I thanked God and prayed on for the others. Five years elapsed, and then the second was converted. I thanked God for the second and prayed on for the other three. Day by day, I continued to pray for them, and six years passed before the third was converted. So at this point, we're at... Twelve and a half years to see three of the five saved. I thanked God for the three and began to went on praying for the other two. These two remain unconverted. The man to whom God and the riches of his grace has given tens of thousands of answers to prayer in the self-same hour or day in which they were offered has been praying day by day for nearly 36 years for the conversion of these individuals and yet they remain unconverted. But I hope in God, and I pray on yet for the answer. They are not converted yet, but George Mueller writes, they will be. So here he is. He prays for over 50 years for these five individuals. Three of them have been saved, two have been not. Now notice this. These last two, last two that in his lifetime, you're going to see in just a second, you're saying, well, what happened to the two that never got saved? Listen to this. Those two men, sons of a friend of Mueller's youth, were still unconverted when he died in 1897. After having prayed daily for their salvation for 52 years, his prayers were answered, however, when both of those men came to faith in Christ a few years after the great intercessor's death, George Mueller. George Mueller was a German man, German Christian who ministered in Bristol, England, most well known for running the orphanage where he housed over 2,000 orphans. But he was a man of prayer. And in that instance, that example, he had five people he was believing to see come to Christ and be saved. Three he got in his lifetime. The other two, after praying for them every day for 52 years, he died in faith, but yet had not seen the promise fulfilled. And by the power of God, a few years later, after, even after the man's dead, his prayers were answered. So I want to encourage you, pray again. Pray again. Don't give up your answer to your prayer by quitting. You know, 
you'll go, you're going to get an answer to that prayer. If you have it established on the Word of God, if the Word of God is plain concerning the will of God, and you're praying the Word of God and the will of God, we know it's God's will when we see it in His Word. We just have to commit to pray that thing into the earth. And don't let Satan rob you of that answer by quitting. Pray again. Hey, I'm so thankful that you joined me today on this wake-up call and for another episode in the Faith for My Generation podcast. I'm really thankful for you. I'm thankful for every time that you share the broadcast, every time you share the videos, that you like and subscribe, that you leave reviews. Hey, if you've got a prayer praise report, I'd love to hear it. Tell me about a time that you've had a prayer answered in the comments. I'd love to have that. Remember, you can always go to faithformygeneration.com to check out everything that we're doing and all that we have and every episode previously that we've released. And again, I want to encourage you, rebuild the altar of prayer if you need to. And if you have the altar of prayer with the fire of God burning heavy on it, keep it burning, keep praying. And I want you to pray again until you receive the answer. And I know that you will because we are the faithful. I'll see you next time. God bless. Thanks so much for joining me for this episode of the Faith for My Generation podcast. Remember, every Monday I've got a brand new wake-up call for you, and every Thursday I've got a brand new episode right here on Faith for My Generation podcast. And remember, we are the faithful.